Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode, a hastily assembled episode, it must be said, of the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com. I bet you can't guess what this episode's going to be about. Uh, Fran Stenson's loan to Brighton? Uh, maybe not. The signing of Tobin Heath for Arsenal. Tobin Heath supports Arsenal. She now plays for Arsenal. And in the words of Martin Tyler, it does not get any more emphatic than that. A, a big signing, obviously, absolutely huge megastar coming to Arsenal. Um, a bit of a surprise signing as well for for a few reasons. First of all, this was kept pretty quiet, it must be said, by Arsenal until um, Anita Asante, who was a, a guest on the last podcast, actually, when we spoke about Jonas Eideval, uh, unwittingly leaked the news on Sky Sports News that, that the deal was close. And then uh, lots of us were scrambling to speak to contacts to confirm the deal. And, and then it became apparent that Tobin Heath and Arsenal was a marriage that was going to be consummated, for want of a better word. And now she plays for Arsenal. So obviously had to get a podcast together quite quickly. Uh, which I managed to do on Thursday evening just before the signing was announced. I'm really, really grateful to our guest on this podcast, Jeff Kasuf. Jeff, uh, some of the our American listeners might be familiar, familiar with Jeff. He's one of the founders of Equalizer Soccer, uh, you know, one of the biggest kind of women's soccer publications in the US. And he broke the news last week that Tobin Heath was... Uh, wanted to stay in England and wanted to play for a Champions League club, which obviously really narrowed things down. Um, and I speak to Jeff a bit later in the show about uh, Tobin's career, how the move came about um, and her, her kind of status, um, both at international level at the moment and historically, and how she might fit in at Arsenal and what type of player she is. For those of you that don't know, Again, our American audience, I'm pretty sure, are very familiar with what type of player Tobin Heath is. Um, but first, we, I had the opportunity to speak to Jonas Eideval on Friday afternoon in his pre-Chelsea press conference. Um, and I was interested in a couple of questions, really. First of all, I guess the story of the signing, because, again, quite unusually, I mean, hands up, I had no info on this whatsoever. Um, and that's 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 quite rare that that so few people have information on a signing before it happens. So I wanted to to kind of clarify with Jonas how long this signing had been in the making, as it were. And the other thing I wanted to ask Jonas as well was just to talk about how she fits into the squad, because you know Arsenal have Beth Mead and Nikita Paris in her position. They have Mane Iwobuchi can play on the right, Caitlin Ford can play on the right. It's not an area where they're lacking really. Um, and the question I really wanted to ask him was, do you just did you just sign Tobin Heath because? If you can sign Tobin Heath, you sign Tobin Heath, regardless of who you have. And he actually gave a twofold answer to that, which was which I found really, really interesting. Um, and 
presently we will play that recording for you now so here's me speaking to Jonas on Friday afternoon about the signing of Tobin Heath Jonas, usually I like to ask like tactical questions about the opposition in these press conferences, but I think you know what most of the questions are actually going to be about today, and I'm not going to disappoint. Um, Tobin Heath, uh, Arsenal kept this quite quiet um, until yesterday, so I'm interested in when did the opportunity to sign her come about, um, and how did that deal come about? When did you realise that Tobin Heath was uh, a realisable target? Uh, I think even pre-Olympics uh, that uh, that we start looking at the possibility uh, of bringing Tobin uh, here, and uh, Tobin has been uh, very very keen uh, to to come and play for Arsenal, uh, which which also have been very nice, of course. Um, so uh, yeah, it's been it, it's even if it's a deal now that gets presented very late into the, the transfer window. It's uh, it, it's not a last-minute deal. It's something that we have been working on uh, during this whole transfer window, basically, and uh, really delighted that uh, that we could come to terms and to uh, make Tobin an Arsenal player. And um, it, it's fair to say that looking at the squad, that you know, in those wide forward positions, Arsenal already have a lot of really, really good players. So it wasn't a position of need per se. But was this, from your point of view, just if you can get Tobin Heath, you just get Tobin Heath? I also think with the number of games that I hope that we play this autumn uh, and uh, workload that we require, especially from our wide forwards, uh, I think the need will be both in games to, to substitute, uh, to, to be able to keep the intensity, but also, of course, in between games that, uh, that, that give players uh, a rest sometimes, that they don't need to, to play every game, uh, because then I think fatigue will start to increase and, and intensity will start to drop. Uh, and <clears throat> then I always think when, when, you, when you want to win something, you want players that can can score points for you, uh, assists and goals. And uh, that, that's a really, really important aspect to have as a forward player. And, and Tobin Heath, she is a point player. Uh, and, and she's a player that can make the difference uh, at, at games at the highest level. Uh, and uh, of course, we're excited to, to bring her here to, to help us with the ambitions that we have this year. I thought Jonas's answer particularly to my second question as to where Tobin Heath fits in into the squad because Arsenal have Beth Mead and Nikita Paris was was really interesting it was a bit of a twofold answer and obviously you've just heard his response so you'll know I'm paraphrasing but it sounded very much like a I'm going to make my wide forwards work really really hard and I'm going to ask them to press and press which is really enthusing so he wants the ability to change them both in game uh, and in his starting lineups but I think there was an element of, um, I guess, agreement with my quite loaded question that, yeah, it's Tobin Heath. I'm going to get Tobin Heath if I can get Tobin Heath and worry about the rest later because she's a real game breaker, I think. And I think she'll also really bring the level up in terms of, of training. I, I think about um, when Spurs signed Alex Morgan 
bit of a rubbish signing really on the pitch but one thing that Tottenham did do while Alex Morgan was there was they changed training grounds they were training at the Hive Barnet uh, Barnet FC's training ground and they moved to Tottenham men's training ground and I don't think that's a coincidence I think that that was a move very much kind of driven by Alex and and her kind of standards of professionalism and and I think I think Tobin um, I mean, I don't think Arsenal need to move training grounds or anything like that, but I think she'll really bring those standards in training and, and keep them really high. Um, so that, that was, um, that was my chat with Jonas on Friday afternoon. Um, I, I think also just before I kind of hand over to, to my conversation with Jeff, I think this is a really different signing for Arsenal women. It's, it's a really aggressive, Signing. I don't want to say it's a statement of intent because I'm not really sure that managers and football clubs really think like that. But it's a really aggressive action in the market. It's the kind of thing that Chelsea would do. And Arsenal haven't really made signings like that before, or certainly not for quite a long time. And ultimately, Chelsea's the competition. And it kind of looks to me like Arsenal have planted their flag in the ground and said, well, this is what we're going to do then as well. This is we want to win. You know, we want to win the WSL. We want to go deep in the Champions League. These are the sorts of players we need to do that. And I, I really hope that this represents a kind of a shift towards that that really aggressive ambition. But anyway, um, less wibbling from me. I'm going to hand over to my conversation with Jeff Kasouf, which I had on Thursday evening. Jeff is um, a long-standing and thoroughly respected journalist um, who covers the NWSL and the US women's national team. And he's been covering Tobin's career for years. So, uh, and like I said, he had the story about her staying in England last week. So I thought who better to talk to than Jeff and really grateful to him for his time. Okay, so joining me now on the show is uh, Jessica Souf of Equalizer Soccer and co-author of Making the Women's World Cup with friend of the pod and at least one time guest on the on the pod, Kieran Tatham. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, obviously, I think everyone knows what we're going to talk about here. Um, by the time this goes out, uh, Arsenal will have announced the signing of Tobin Heath. Um, first of all, last week you broke the news that Tobin Heath was potentially looking to stay in England with a Champions League club. Um, and that certainly set the rumour mill alight um, amongst WSL fans. Did you know at that point that Arsenal was her likely destination or at least a possibility or were there other clubs in play? Um, possibility, yes. I mean, I had kind of um, had gotten some different word and, and narrowed it. Um, and, and, you know, from what I was gathering and did report of, you know, Champions League preference, preference to stay in, in England, obviously that narrows it to three. And then um, I kind of stopped short of, I, I didn't have like any hard confirmation that Arsenal was the, the place or the, you know, um, the, the leading favorite, I guess. But if you kind of logically look at the rosters of, and different needs, and, and I wouldn't say that Arsenal necessarily has a gaping need, but you look at how full Chelsea is um, and, and just some of the other things that I was gathering. Um, it seemed like the very logical of those three destinations, the very logical destination of those three. So um, yeah, I guess I sold myself short a little bit of just uh, putting my neck fully out there to say Arsenal looks like it, but um, you know, I wasn't trying to be coy. I mean, th there was nothing 
super firm at that point that I had, certainly. Um, it doesn't sound like anything at that point was maybe firm even on her end, but um, it, it looked like if you kind of narrowed it down, that that was what made sense. Obviously, she's been a, a Gunners fan for life. Um, I don't know how much that necessarily factors, you know, considering this is a important career move. But um, yeah, I will say I took a lot of shtick from some people last week reporting this that uh, didn't believe that that was going to be the case. So um, I, I don't like throwing anything in, in anybody's faces, but I, I'll accept any apologies from fans who uh, questioned my, my reporting, which has about 12 years of experience to it. <laughs> yeah, because one of the things I've been wondering all day with my pride, pride a little bit wounded by the fact that I didn't get this story was um, whether this is something that happened quickly or quietly. But it it, it sounds like um, a mixture of both. I, I have to admit, when I saw your tweet last week about this, I thought she was trying to flush out interest perhaps from another NWSL club because obviously her rights were traded last year from Portland Thorns to Racing Louisville. And I very much had the impression perhaps she just doesn't want to go to Racing Louisville and she's trying to get, you know, flush out interest from elsewhere in the US, maybe Angel City or something like that. How much of a factor do you think Portland Thorns or her being traded from the Thorns factored in her decision to stay in England? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge. I think, you know, um, I guess just to quickly touch on like the reporting process of it, you know, I had a similar thought of, is this the case of, you know, potentially I'm hearing this because maybe there's a reason that, that, you know, Louisville is Louisville was never an option. I think, you know, some people have kind of wondered like Kristen press, Tobin Heath were, were obviously selected by Louisville against their will, so to speak, without any say in the matter and never had any intention to play there. I think Louisville got that understanding very quickly. I'm not sure that they had it initially, but, um, and then realized that they needed to kind of leverage those rights, which is like a whole other conversation about the system here. But um, so, you know, in, in sort of reporting this last week, um, you know, kind of tried to do my homework on that and like, was there interest from other teams in the NWSL in Tobin Heath? Yes. I mean, I think that's kind of a given to some degree, but uh, my impression is that it was one way interest in, in that sense. So that's where I was, I guess, a little bit more comfortable in saying like, you know, this really is the preference and, and the likely outcome staying in Europe and maybe England in particular. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, she was with Portland Thorns since their inception. She was an original player there um, going on nine years now since the league was founded and, you know, she had made Portland home. So I think that's where, um, to a degree, you know, Kristen Press had kind of played with some different teams in the league. You know, that's where I think with, with how things played out that that one hit a little bit more personally for Tobin Heath, um, given that she was kind of a, probably felt like maybe a thorn for life type of scenario. And then the move to Manchester United forced by the pandemic to that degree. But um, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's probably more still to be told maybe in, in years to come, just kind of the, the unfortunate way that kind of had to end in, in Portland there um, without her having any say in it. Yeah. And one of the things lastly, like I think it was quite clear that a lot of the players that came over from the NWSL last year were only ever going to be here for a year. And I always thought that that was probably the case with Tobin, but when that, that trade happened, and she'd started really well with Manchester United. I did start to wonder if she would stay, but stay with United. And um, I, and obviously, subsequently, there have been problems with the setup at Manchester United, complaints about conditions and things like that. And obviously, I got that sense less as the season went on and she picked up an injury. But do you think that perhaps with, with more 
effort that that United staying at United might have been something that that could have appealed to her? I don't know. You know, I try not to speak too much for players, but I would say my impression was always that Casey Stoney was the driving factor in that move. And, and she really, you know, both press and Heath spoke directly about really liking what Casey Stoney brought to the table. I think we've heard that from, from so many different players. Um, and, you know, I, I think we'll come to see this season that's kicking off how much Casey Stoney was really essential and integral to what was happening there at United. Um, but that was really the impression that I got. So, you know, obviously as Stoney sort of exited the scene and, and um, as, as that sort of talk picked up, I think that really kind of, um, you know, really drove home that that, that wasn't going to be the case. I, I think you hear about some of those, those, uh, and I think even the athletic in their reporting said, like, I believe, I don't want to misspeak here, but that, that the athletics reporting was that like, the arrival of, of Heath and press kind of opened the eyes to some other players of what the standard should be. Even so um, I, I think that was more about Stony, and that's why, you know, I think people rightfully probably thought, what about San Diego? And look, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to rule out the idea that Heath never plays in the NWSL again, but um, you know, f- crazy things happen and, and seem to happen every day, certainly on this side of the pond in this league. But um, you know, I think that's where maybe Stoney is probably the driving factor and, and maybe, you know, I don't know, does that play out in the future in San Diego? Who knows? And um, something Arsenal fans are talking about a lot is because the Arsenal squad is, is quite quite filled, filled, uh, sorry, filled at the moment, uh, perhaps missing a defensive midfielder. And on that right wing where, where Tobin usually plays, they've just bought Nikita Paris. They've got Beth Mead, Caitlin Ford can play there, Manet Iwabuchi can play there. It, it's definitely not a need in the Arsenal squad to have a right winger. But I was just wondering from your perspective, even at 33, if you can, is Tobin Heath just a player you can get if you get, if, if you can get her? Yeah, I mean, I think if the interest is there, um, you know, we've seen obviously Arsenal is, is a side that, um, you know, has the past history. It's been some time in terms of Champions League, but, you know, to, to make a Champions League run, I think you men's or women's side, you need some level of depth. Um, obviously, if you're doing that while trying to chase the league, you particularly need that. So, um, you know, to some degree, is that like an obvious luxury of, of a big club that can make something like that happen? Of course. But, you know, if, if you look sort of uh, across the, the street a little bit to Chelsea there, um, you know, same thing. I mean, it's champagne problems of like, which of these potentially arguably all world type of players am I going to have to put on the bench? Um, that's what you really need to be winning a league while chasing, a, you know, a treble, a quadruple, a Champions League. Um, so I think to that degree, yes, if you're Arsenal, if Tobin Heath is saying this is my preferred destination, you know, I think you do what you you need to do to make that happen within reason. Um, but I am interested to see, you know, how she kind of fits in um, because to your point, I mean, it's obviously, you know, maybe slightly lesser degree than Chelsea, but, but is a very crowded roster as is. Um, and, you know, I think a, a talented player, um, you know, you mentioned the age. I mean, I think we've seen U S players play quite, quite longer than this, obviously, but I think probably a, a factor to a degree. So, you know, interested to see how exactly um, she gets used. But I think, you know, I personally, and I wasn't alone, had some some wonders about what was her form going to be after that six month or so, seven month really layoff. Um, and I was at her first game back here in Connecticut. 
And it took her 45, 50 seconds to score a spectacular goal for the U S and, you know, I think wasn't the most amazing Olympics for any U S player, quite frankly, but you know, if you dropped me into, you know, that in a vacuum, I, I wouldn't have known that she was coming off an injury layoff. So I think that's got to be encouraging from a, an Arsenal perspective. That's that was that was going to be my next question, actually, because she is 33. She, as you mentioned, she had a couple of in one big injury and another, I think, slightly smaller injury last season. But I, I guess I'm interested in the Olympics performance because she wasn't great. But then again, pretty much no one was um, for the US. And I wonder how much you, you know, you think that the injury might have had an impact or whether it was just like more of a collective thing for the US. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the US issues, um, you know, were kind of collective there. And um, I don't think anybody, to your point, I don't think anybody had a great tournament for the US. I mean, maybe. I think one of the players actually said this in admitting that in one of the post-game pressers was like, you know, maybe you could exclude Alyssa Nair from that group. And she obviously was, was injured at the end there. Um, so I don't think it was a great tournament for anybody for the U S um, you know, in terms of Heath's Heath's um, fitness, you know, I, I didn't really see anything recognizable and um, you know, the, the fact that she was back before those like Julie Ertz came back, at the Olympics. I mean, that was her first time. And, and even for her, I don't think we necessarily saw any real great indications that she was coming off of injury, but um, with Heath, you know, she was kind of fully back before they got to Japan and really, I mean, looked herself. So I, I don't think injury, you know, again, hard to say, but it didn't really seem to be a huge factor. And um, I, I guess for our, uh, I guess for our, for our British listeners, listeners all over the world, listeners who perhaps aren't um, as immersed in women's football as, as you or I, who are perhaps just really curious about the fact that they've seen all of this kind of hype about this signing, can you just give us an idea of the profile of Tobin Heath just generally in the US? And I mean, personally, I'm expecting our site to get a lot more traffic from the US um, <laughs> over this season, just to give us an idea of like how much of a star Tobin Heath actually is. Yeah, definitely star, extremely popular player. Um, you know, in terms of, of play on the field, I would say, you know, US players not traditionally or historically known as super technical. She was, I don't want to say the first, but certainly in this generation um, is kind of one of those players that was truly different and is truly different and kind of rewrote that um, idea of what maybe a stereotypical sort of hard-nosed direct playing American is. I mean, from her teenage years was in with the U S national team, with the senior team um, immediately when she came onto that scene was, you know, uh, you can find some, some really old videos on YouTube of just like funny stuff of her nutmegging people and um, doing some sort of, you know, little, little tricks, um, which are, you know, it's kind of her personality. She's very, very, um, she's laid back, but also very centered, if that makes sense. Um, and, and I think that comes off in her play in that um, it's a very sort of free-flying, free-flowing sort of style. Um, and it's it's not something you traditionally see from the U.S. I think, you know, Rose Lavelle is kind of that maybe next wave or next person in that. But you're talking in sort of singularities there in terms of this profile of a player for Americans. So um, in that sense, I think gives a little bit of a window into sort of the, the rarity and, and she's refined that over the years. I think those, you know, 15 years ago when she cracked onto the scene or maybe even a slightly more than that at this point, um, you know, 
as you might expect from a teenage player, maybe needed a little bit of discipline added to that free flowing style has certainly uh, acquired that through the years, a couple world cup titles, um, and is now really, um, I would say a really well-rounded player as much as she can provide that nutmeg one V one, uh, ability, you know, now recognizes when maybe she doesn't have to beat a player and then go back and beat her again, as she might in past years, she can beat a player and provide quality service. So, um, I think really dynamic on the wings, um, really, really kind of a, a singular type of, of talent. Um, you know, that I, I don't know, I don't want to say past prime in prime, just, um, you know, I, I think is, is a pretty special player in that sense. Yeah. We, I've, I've heard the Tobinio nickname, uh, quite a few <laughs> times. Um, cause you know, a, a lot of players came from the NWSL to the WSL last season. And I think most people know that, as you suggested, that was because of the pandemic and uncertainty over the NWSL. Most of those players have gone back. I think that was always the intention with most of them. But then you've got a player like Abby Dalkemper, who signed a two and a half year deal with Manchester City, but went back after six months. I'm not sure other than... You know, Tobin, before she got injured, was brilliant, but then got injured. I'm not sure, other than Sam Mewis, any of them were an outstanding success. How is uh, the time of those USWNT players in the WSL viewed uh, on your side of the pond? And, and how do you think the players view um, their kind of spell in England last year? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Mewis was was very good for Man City. I thought Press, but particularly Heath, was very good for Man United. And then obviously, you know, basically only for half a season, unfortunately, which maybe is, is related to kind of the change in the table for them from, from winter break to end of season. But, um, you know, I, I think there is um, rightly or wrongly, maybe unfairly kind of a, um, a global, I don't know if stigma is the word, but just, you know, in past years, um, U.S. soccer has literally said to U.S. players, you need to be here. Press was was the shining example of that. She was thriving in Sweden um, seven years ago at this point and was told specifically with a World Cup on the horizon, you need to play in this league. And, and contractually, that was part of the deal. That all has changed, even contractually, um, or is changing. But I think, um, you know, with how many times it has happened in terms of players going over and maybe you know, U.S. soccer dictating an international break or, or not an actual FIFA window, um, leaving early or whatever it might be that, you know, I think that has created some hesitation from clubs maybe that felt burned by it, whatever it may be. Um, and I think that's that's something that will, you know, to a degree need to be um, recovered from just in, in terms of a overall sense as, but, you know, I think it needs to be because it's an, it's an increasingly global market. Um, and I don't think that the NWSL is like the one and only answer for American players. Um, it still seems to be the way in many ways. Um, and you can see that by the numbers of who's playing where. But um, so, you know, I think the view of it, you know, globally probably has a little bit of a negative connotation just because of the, the shorter term stays here um, in the U.S., I don't know. I don't know that that's, it's probably somewhat similar to a degree. I know there's been frustration here um, among fans, among even NWSL coaches, probably some players, even that there has been that traditional feeling of you have to be here to be quote unquote considered for the national team. But, you know, I would push back on that, that that changed in the very sort of tail end of Jill Ellis era and Vlako Nanofsky certainly um, has been, been understanding of, 
players playing anywhere. Cat Macario signing with Leon right out of college there. Um, but, you know, I think largely it still is U.S. players playing in the U.S. And um, I guess I'd say for better or worse, it's, it's not the worst thing to have a strong domestic league backed by, you know, strong domestic players. And I think, you know, England to a degree is a, a testament to that too. Yeah, that that's uh, preempted my next question, actually, which was going to be about U.S. soccer. And, and obviously, at Arsenal, we've only ever had one U.S. player before in, in Heather O'Reilly, who, who'd retired from international football when she came over. And that was part of the reason she came over, because she didn't have to worry about going back. And usually you've got U.S. players coming to Europe and going to places like Lyon, but, you know, in a certain space in the international cycle, which which isn't really happening at the moment. And uh, that was going to be my next question, actually, because we didn't really get that last season with, with kind of U.S. soccer and particularly Tobin and Kristen because they were injured and there was COVID and things like that. But I, I was going to actually ask, do you foresee... Um, any issue about perhaps Tobin, you know, being called up to to a camp or something that's not in a FIFA window? Um, d- does that happen at all anymore? Uh, it does happen in terms of um, it just happened prior to the Olympics that there was you know U.S. playing outside of a a FIFA window. So it, it does happen. I think it will continue to happen to a degree, but it has gotten a lot better. So I mean, you know, if you look at the immediate road ahead, which is you know, you can look, I think, I think it's public even of like at least the first half of this WSL season, you've got FIFA windows, you know, is there maybe some extra travel there for her and that makes her need to rest when she gets back or something? Sure. Um, but you've got FIFA windows. And then, you know, I think the one thing that's um, a tradition for us women's national team, us soccer period, the men's side too, but is not really a thing anywhere else in the world is the January camp, which is like this, you know, longer, several weeks sort of uh, anomaly of a camp. Um, but even that has kind of been rewritten to a degree. It's easy for an NWSL to player, player to do that, obviously, because it's the off season here. But we saw, you know, or we have seen um, where if, if a player is playing in Europe, you know, January camp doesn't necessarily make sense. And if there's not any qualifying event or anything immediately after that, which there isn't this coming, this coming January, February, um, there's no real reason for them to be at a, a camp with no meaningful games when they could be at a, at their club with meaningful games. So I don't, I don't foresee anything at least that's already on the schedule. Um, I, I would say I'm sure as always, the U S will play a game or two outside of a FIFA window at some point though. Yeah. And, and, and actually my, my final question, uh, relates to Tobin's, I guess, position in, in the US, uh, USWNT, because obviously it was quite an old team at the Olympics, um, or should we say experienced is probably a better way to put it, <laughs> an experienced team at the Olympics who didn't do very well, um, by their own standards. And obviously when an experienced team doesn't do very well, all of the talk is about renewal, um, and bringing in younger players and, and the US do have younger players. And I wondered whether Tobin certainly, uh, Personally, I don't think her position in the squad is in jeopardy at all, but maybe her her status as, as an outright starter. Do you see that changing? And, you know, from Arsenal's point of view, I understand it's a two-year contract, so that takes us up to the 2023 World Cup. W- would you expect Tobin to be starting in the 2023 World Cup? And if not, when do you think that that kind of transition might happen? Saving the tough one for me for last year. <laughs> Starting in the 2030 World Cup is 
is tough. That's hyper specific. I mean, I, I would say that's, that's even harder than like, I think, you know, playing at the 2023 world cup or being there, I think is probably, you know, certainly more of a, a easier. Yes, I guess. Um, but, you know, I think it's fair to say at this point, at least after these four sort of, um, I guess, bronze medal tour games, um, you know, that like in 2016, which was not, um, is a different scenario. They came back with a version of a medal, but, you know, like in 2016 with one less year to do it because of the pandemic shift here, that I think there is going to be a real hard look at what the team looks like, the U S team, what it needs to look like, who is in, who's out. And that won't be an immediate answer. I mean, when Jill Ellis did this five years ago, it took a while to figure out there was a three back that I think she would rightfully also say and has that it did not work. It was, did not go well, but it took, you know, six months to really get that answer for her. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of young players get opportunities in the next year or so. And I think that will come maybe potentially at the expense of, of some veterans, but I think it will come alongside veterans mostly, unless, you know, we've seen the news from Carly Lloyd, maybe there will be some who um, force or voluntarily remove themselves because they think it's time. But, um, you know, I think we'll see kind of an open competition in that sense up until, you know, I mean, up until the 2023 World Cup period, but like, you know, over the next six months to a year, I think we'll really see, uh, not trying to cop out, but I think you'll have certainly a better answer to those questions in terms of, you know, there are going to be challengers in her position, in every position. Um, and I think we'll see, you know, the pandemic played a role in this, but the reason for that older lineup or roster at the Olympics is yes, there was too tight of a turnaround time, but it was also that as much as there is a very young crop of talent, they, they weren't necessarily quite ready for that. Yeah. Um, that big stage at the moment. So part of that answer of where does she fit in? Where do others fit in is going to be, you know, how ready are these, these newer players and, and, you know, the next year or so needs to be used getting them ready to, to make 2023 happen for them. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, Jeff, thanks so much for your insights and uh, perhaps we can catch up, you know, during the season when Tobin's um, absolutely smashing it in England and (laughs) Arsenal are winning the league with five games to go and, (laughs) and she's getting player of the year and yeah, we can, we can talk about that then, but Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Them. 
And that's all we have time for this week. Um, just because of the short notice of the podcast, um, couldn't get Pippa or Alex on the podcast uh, this time around, but we'll record something in the next week or two, maybe a mailbag episode or something like that, where we can react perhaps more viscerally um, to the signing of Tobin Heath, maybe when she eventually makes her debut, which I, I think is likely to be towards the end of September, to be honest. Um, because it's it's a really exciting signing and it's um I really hope it brings more eyeballs to the Arsenal team and and more than anything I just I hope that she um she absolutely kills it and that Arsenal really compete for the for the league title in a way that they haven't done for the last couple of years but should have so Hope you enjoyed the show. Really big thanks to Jeff, particularly because he came on at such short notice. Uh, and we'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you very much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.